Thanks for tuning in to the Tyler Gossett Podcast. My guest today is Daniel Wren, financial planner and founder of Wren Financial Planning. We have a great discussion today around saving, budgeting, some things that you can do to try to help reach your goals for financial freedom. We talk also a little bit about tax vehicles and how you can help lessen your tax liability. I did want to say that neither one of us are CPAs, um, and we're not really actually giving advice here, but it's just a great discussion around what Daniel does for his clients and some things that you can do, um, maybe implement for yourself. I hope you enjoy it. Daniel Wren, thanks for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me. Busy guy. So, yeah, so we kind of came up in business together and, uh, you know, we've, I've seen you around and you've grown your business. I've seen you grow your business. Um, but more importantly, the reason I wanted to have you on is what you teach and what you help your clients with, I think is, um, it's rare and it's also what everybody really needs. Yeah. And so, uh, but thanks for coming in. And for, for people that I try to describe what you do, um, I kind of like to say, you're like a personal trainer, but for finance. Is yeah. that what you would say? Oh, yeah. That's definitely probably a better description than like a financial advisor or whatever. Yeah. So tell me a little bit kind of what you do uh, for a living and what you're an expert in because, um, you know, I know you really well, but maybe some people listening, you know, don't really know know what you're about. So Yeah. So I would, I would title myself like a, a financial planner, but basically we work with young physician families and help them use their money to live better lives, essentially. So that can be a lot of different things. But at the end of the day, uh, a lot of it is helping them develop those like foundational habits, like you're kind of hitting on, you know, for instance, like having control of where their money goes, you know, ideally, nowadays, it's easy to just kind of your have your money on autopilot, and, and it just kind of does its thing. But uh, one of the big things we help people with is, you know, helping them get actual control over their money um, and and develop those foundational habits, which ultimately at the end of the day, we're helping them use their money to, you know, live, live better. Yeah. So I think people sometimes are not very mindful of where they're spending their money and they don't spend money to things that they actually want to spend their money towards. And it's so counterintuitive. You're like, okay, well, if I want to spend my money on this, I will. But um, really it's like, oh, where did my money go? Yeah. And that's what I see a lot. And you and I, we we both see with our clients we see things that are a lot of things that are counterintuitive you think somebody just because they have a big income that they're going to live a certain way and that's not exactly true so what are some of the misconceptions or what are some of the things that you see the, your average client have or maybe the average person have that you would say okay look you're coming in and you're coming to me for help just like I'd come to a trainer for help and say hey what do I eat how do I exercise you know, what do you, where do you start with a client? Yeah, we, we always start with like, where do they want to go? You know, like what's most important and what does the ideal future look like for them? So we need, cause we want to understand that first. That's kind of like the underlying motivation. Typically, um, uh, we want to know kind of what drives them. And so, you know, based on that, we'll kind of back into, you know, where their money's going, Ideally, their uh, money, uh, like their money actions are in perfect alignment with like 
their values and their goals. That's an ideal world, but right. that just never, rarely is that actually the case when we kind of start to peel back the layers. So we're right. always going to start with that. Let's define the values and let's define the goals. And then let's start to peel back the layers and see if they're how, how well that's aligned with what you're actually doing. So do most people come to you and say, okay, look, here are my goals, or do you have to kind of pull that out of them? Pull it out. I mean, yeah. it's rare that every once in a while you get the uh, certain personality types that are just like, I've written down all my goals already and <laughs> right. I'm ready to rock. But most people, it's like very much so pulling it out. So what, w- what would those goals be? Like, give me some examples. I mean, it's across the board, but, uh, you know, common ones are, I want to get organized with my finances. That's a pretty common one we see. Um, I want to, you know, better understand where my money's going. I want to save for retirement. I want to save for college funds. I want to sit, I, I want to not be so dependent on my job. That's a common one with our clientele. Yeah. Physicians don't, they're, they tend to bring that up quite a bit. Um, or I worry about my debt or those, yeah. those are the, probably the most common ones we see. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's insane to see how much debt people carry, um, whether or not they have a high income. Oh yeah. And, um, and it's really a killer for your goals because, you know, all you're doing is servicing your debt. Right. And debt doesn't feel like lifestyle at all. So right. it's like just an obligation that right. you got to pay. Yeah. Um, we, I had a Emma Montgomery in here um, for the last episode, and she was talking about, you know, she was in a financial situation where she could take that leap and quit her cushy salary, nice big salary with benefits job yep. and go out and, and do what she really was passionate about and start her business. Yeah. And, you know, I, I thought about you actually when uh, she was talking about that because, you know, if she had gone out and not been mindful about her finances, um, there'd be no way that she could take that leap. Yeah. And um, I call that job independence. I mean, most people are very job dependent. Like they have to work like every day, literally. Like a lot of people have to work, you know, that week because if they don't work for a week, they're kind of like yeah. upside down. But job independence right. gives you that flexibility. And that's kind of the only reason I was able to start my business, the same same sort of thing. is. Yeah. I saw um, a stat the other day about most people cannot um, pay for like a $500 emergency expense or something like that. Yeah, that's not – surprising to me yeah and it's just like you know it's easy for someone to say well why why can't you do that but you know it's a slippery slope you start getting that oh you know i buy buy that car that's a little more expensive than i was going to but i can i can afford that payment Mm -hmm. and then you know you you just kind of start going down that path it's funny everybody says the same thing when you start asking them they're like i don't feel like i spend that much money (laughs) (laughs) like i've heard that yeah a thousand times so where are where's the Common areas where people are like, I don't spend that much money. And then it's like, oh, we start digging into it. You're like, damn, I, I spent like way dining, too. Dining out is a common one, yeah. I would say. Um, yeah, vacation. For for people, um, higher income type people I work with tends to be, you know, vacation or just non-necessity type things. Dining mm-hmm. out is, is a good example. But that's, I mean, you could say you got to eat. but <laughs> Right. Uh, or even groceries is an interesting one uh people have a huge range of what they spend on groceries and nowadays people are getting the uh what do they call Click it like list blue, or like no like the oh, blue, blue apron, apron yeah, like yeah. the ready-made meals and that's mm-hmm. that's not the same as right going to the grocery right yeah or meal planning a, a lot of people 
waste a lot of food because they just, you know, go to Costco and buy a million things. So, yeah. uh, you know, there's a big, huge difference between like I meal plan all my week and eat exactly what I need and then don't right. have any leftover versus like I go to Costco and get all kinds. Do you of, do that? Oh, of course. I mean, I'm, I'm uh, as guilty as anybody. I'm a consumer in yeah. our culture and it's hard not to do that. Yeah. It's just so easy to, um, you know, head over to Costco and buy a bunch of stuff and then a uh, rotisserie chicken on the <laughs> right. You seem like a pretty disciplined guy. You cracked me up because the other day I was like, hey, let's go meet for coffee. And uh, you're like, okay, sure. How about like 7 o'clock? I was like, oh, uh, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> oh, man, and then you get there and you're like, yeah, I had my workout before this. Yeah, that's uh, – I have had – morning time is my uh, time to get – type you know me type stuff, stuff done, done yeah just with children and business yeah. and all that stuff i'm sure you have yeah i'm kind of in the same boat with the kids so i've got i mean you've got two three you've got three yeah. okay and uh a one-year-old right, right i've got a one-year-old as well yep and uh yeah it's just finding time is always tough to do things yeah and even just like time to back to the financial thing time to to plan that out because right. i mean you really have to be um I think, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like you have to be determined to set time aside and go back and look at what you did, be mm-hmm. mindful of what you're going to do, maybe yeah, yeah. sit down with your spouse and talk about, hey, what are our goals? Have they changed? Are we aligning our behavior with the goals that we want to achieve? Yeah, it's you got to be intentional and carve it out. And I think a lot of people have good intentions and they, you know, do – give it a stab or they'll get motivated in like, you know, this time of year, New Year's resolution. And, but I found a lot of people, the natural tendency is like, oh yeah, I'm going to budget. It's going to be awesome. And then they get into the weeds and like the thick of it. And it just like weighs them down and they're like, oh yeah, I don't even know what to do with the fact that I spend $72 a month on, you know, movies or whatever. They're like, I don't even know what to do with all this this stuff. Well, and I think the other thing is if you have somebody like myself, my income fluctuates. Um, and then you're like, well, how do you, how do you budget to, you know, a fluctuating income There's or, or my expenses fluctuate with, you know, if I've got a farm, right. You've got to budget some of those, but some, some years it's a lot more expensive than other years. You know, we had to get new fence or whatever. And, um, sometimes people, instead of actually trying to dig into that, they're just like, it just doesn't work for me. Like budget works for those people who are just on a salary and they're the same expenses. Yeah. Most, but everybody's different. Like everybody's got different expenses that change. Yeah. Most people I work with say that they don't want to budget. They're not going to budget. Like they have enough income to where they don't Don't have have to budget and they don't. And I would agree with them. I hate budgeting personally. Like, I don't like the. You have to tell yourself no, first of all, which sucks. Well, the nitty gritty part of it is not super enjoyable for me. Yeah. But um, I kind of take a backwards. I mean, not a backwards. I I take a a, a little bit of a different approach to how you budget. Um, So what, what approach do you take? So like. I was describing typical approaches, get into the weeds first. Mm-hmm. So I would say instead of doing that, start with like the big, big picture in mind first. And so for instance, like with our own, with our finances, every single month I look at just three numbers, you know. So I look at our checking and savings accounts and I say, okay, what did we start the month out with? Like what's the balance at the beginning of the month? Mm-hmm. How much money came in? And then what was the balance at the end of the month? 
And then you can do a little math and figure out how much you right. spent. Yeah. And I know what that number needs to look like. Mm-hmm. And if it's off by more than, you know, say $500, I'm going to say, okay, I got to go, I got to dig a little deeper and see what's, what's going on here. Yeah. And that's when I'll get into the, the yeah. weeds. I like that approach. It simplifies it. And, you know, we talked last time a little bit about simplifying your finances, but you have to be in a place where you, you have your finance, your finances set up in a way where you can do that. So if you have two different checking accounts, yep. you've got eight different credit cards. Not going to work. It's not going to work. So yep. how do you go about your average client probably is going to come in with multiple credit cards. Yep. Right. Do they have credit card debt? Yeah. So for instance, we started working with somebody a month ago. They had probably 30 different credit cards, 10 different checking accounts, had $150,000 in credit card debt, make $600,000 a year. Mm-hmm. So massively complex just because right. there's so many things going on. Yeah. So they can't even do that thing I just described. Right. They're not ready. So how do you start kind of working towards that? So what? simplification. It's like, okay, can't use the credit cards anymore. Yeah. Are you consolidating? Are you just, hey, let's pay off one at a time? You do snowball method? I mean, I, that's that's uh, kind of secondary. First step, which is sometimes a hard one to get through, is like no more swiping. Yeah. <laughs> like the credit cards can no longer be used at all. Because when you have debt on credit cards and you're using them, it's mm-hmm. just a mess. To, I mean, that's too hard to keep up with. Yeah, you can't. Well, it's they make it so sexy, right? To, you swipe the card. It's so easy. Yeah. I hate when somebody in front of me is writing a check or paying with cash. I'm like, right. really? Nobody wants to write a check. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and uh, so then, you you know, it's so easy, convenient. But then you've got the cash back. You're like, well, you know, I'm losing money. I can't money. pass up on the 2% rewards. Right. I'm, it's like I'm losing money if I don't use this card. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, it's it's so easy to get into that trap. Yeah, but like, uh, you know, Citigroup or, or those big credit card companies, mm-hmm. like, they're pretty stinking profitable. Yeah, so they're making money. They're yeah. making they're some money. They're not giving money away. They're not giving money away. Yeah, so, yeah. like, something's yeah. it's coming from somewhere. So, put the credit cards up. Yeah. No uh, cut them cards. up. Put them in a drawer or whatever. Um, and then what? Run everything through just one account. Like, 100% of income and expenses. Mm-hmm. goes through one account. Yeah. So that's actually really easy to track. You just look at the one account, you pull up the, and log into the one account, look at the transaction history. So mm-hmm. um, both, if you know, you're married, both spouses' income goes in there and then all the expenses come out. So that's a, that's always a kind of a starting point is like, let's simplify this as much as humanly possible. Right. And in my mind, that's about as simple as you can get. Yeah. Um. So... You've got this guy with the debt profile. He's got, I always say, hundred fifty thousand in credit card debt. Yeah. How do you choose where to start? So I'm assuming part of this is budget, right? Because you have to figure out how much money you truly have left over after expenses, right? Right. And for them, and most people with that much credit card debt, they have zero left over. Yeah. Because how would they have gotten that credit card in exactly. the first place? So. Mm-hmm. So you gotta get. You gotta identify find or create the free cash flow. So you've got two options, which is earn more spend less. or spend less yeah, or a combination of both. I like guess three options, right? Yeah, that'd be best. <laughs> <laughs> but most, a lot of people can earn more. So, or they shouldn't earn more for their own sanity. Yeah. Like a lot of these doctors can work more, but they're already working 60 hours a week. And I'm like, you're going to get divorced if you I work know. anymore. I, I was talking to one of your clients and they said, Daniel, 
got me to a place where like one of my goals was I didn't want to work full time. Yeah. And um, could I make more money working full time? Absolutely. But I wanted to work part time. I wanted to work, you know, and be able to, to be home with my kids. And you were, you kind of helped them get to that point through budgeting, through, you know, making sure that. Um, yeah, that's job independence. You know, yeah. that's like kind of the, but, but when you're in debt, uh, you know, up to that level, it's kind yeah. of like, oh man, I got to dig out of this. Thing. Yeah. And you know, it's hard to say like, I mean, so this person has good income, but still it's going to take a long time for them to pay off $150,000 in, in debt. Yep. And it's their choice, like as to how quickly they, they want to do it. I'm like, you all just have to prioritize what you do. I mean, the fastest way to do it is sell your house, sell your cars, um, go get into a little low cost rental, mm-hmm. uh, you know, live like start eating ramen noodles. Yeah. And they could do it fast right. like, with a six hundred thousand yeah. dollar income. I mean, yeah, three months. Yeah. Like no that. time. Uh did they have any savings? No. Nobody well, it's extremely rare that we see people with savings mm-hmm. with credit card debt. Yeah. Well, I mean, I see it. In my I mean, business. like retirement accounts, I'm I'm talking just cash savings. Yeah, but I'll see like um, uh, investment accounts. Um, and credit card debt. And credit card debt. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's so, it's, you know, it's still cheap. I mean, credit cards are expensive. You're looking at probably 12 to 15%, mm-hmm, right? On average, yeah. Sometimes more 20% if it's department stores. 29 yeah. sometimes. I think that's like the cap um but like equity lines yeah you know you can get get, get you one of those for you know single digits three four percent right um and then you're, you know people will say well you know i'm earning money on in the market at 12 percent. you know if it's nine percent credit card you know what's the big deal mm-hmm. um <laughs> so what's your thoughts there just if you've got mm-hmm. any if you've got any cash just pay off the credit cards right yeah like that's all probably uh, their justification mm-hmm. for their spending problem. Yeah. Um, so you can – people come up with all kinds of justification. Like they, yeah. they can justify their way into anything. And uh, typically when you peel back the layers, they got a spending problem. So credit card de- debt is more of like a symptom of a spending problem. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, – and I think it's just so prevalent. It's almost uh, acceptable now. To have credit oh, card yeah. debt, um, and even more so than that, like car car debt. Car debt has become for real, uh, very commonly. People, there's people that think like, well, you're just supposed to always have a car payment. Yeah. Um, right. And you're like, no, you don't have to have a car payment. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I like to look at the people I work with that don't have debt, and then compare them to the people that do. And I'm like, I've never had the people that don't have debt be like, man, I really wish, wish I had I- a car loan. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And they'd seem more relaxed about it. They don't have to work as much to Mm -hmm. pay the, there's something about paying the debt. It's just kind of a drag. Right. Yeah. No, it's just like spending, it's spending money on something you've already bought. And it's like, right. When you go to a restaurant, when they give you the menu, you're like, oh yeah, I want this, this, and this. And then they give you the bill and you're like, I'm not even hungry. Why am I buying this food? Yeah. Right. But it's, uh, that's a, like old Jerry Seinfeld bit, but it's so true. It's like, you don't want to buy, you know, how many things like you bought and you're just like, oh, you know, you didn't care anymore. And now you're paying on it another, you know, five, 10 years or whatever. Right. That's the research on like, uh, finances and happiness typically concludes like, you know, 
advance purchase pay for things in advance is generally better for happiness yeah experiences over material mm-hmm. that's that's typically uh better bang for your buck that kind of thing yeah so if you've got somebody on they're on the the plan they're like all right i gotta pay these credit cards off we've got eight of them hundred fifty thousand. where do you start on that do you say okay we've got the budget we've we found the extra income um do you start with the highest interest rate yeah so you know once we've got the surplus or how much we got to we have to work with every month yeah i mean typically my approach is the highest interest rate but um I'm a fan of. Are you a fan of consolidating? Well, what I, what I was going to say is I'm a fan of whatever you got to do to start to make positive progress. Yeah. So too many people overcomplicate it and don't make any progress. Mm-hmm. So like, there's a million different ways to do it. Like, if somebody's into Dave Ramsey, Dave Ramsey's approach is good. Yeah. It, it's it's kind of psychological. Yeah. So he's like smallest one first debt snowball. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's resonating with that, like, and it's going to work, let's do it. that. Yeah. Uh, from a number standpoint, it's always better to pay off the highest interest rate first. Mm-hmm. That's just the math. But that's not very, like, gratifying. If your biggest loan is the highest interest rate and it takes forever and right. you're like, it's you need to get a win. So yeah. um, the bigger thing is what's going to allow them to start making progress. Um, yeah. my, my default would be highest interest rate first, just cause it, the math makes most sense. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the, the Dave Ramsey thing, I can see how that works for people. Yeah. Um, but you still have to, <laughs> you still have to make eventually the payments towards that card that doesn't look like it's moving. Yeah. And, then, and you know, he doesn't, he says not to consolidate, right? Doesn't he say he like, says, don't do it. Don't even consolidate, mm-hmm. like bear the pain. Yeah. So I think though, what he's worried about is, okay, like if I take all this debt, I've got $50,000 in credit card debt. I consolidate it into one. Now, all of a sudden, all those cards, I've got that ability to run up those cards or that debt again. Right. And he's worried, okay, well, that 50 might become 100. Right. Rather than just chipping away at each of them. Yeah, and that makes sense. And that's kind of why I'm like, at the very beginning, draw the line with the no credit cards thing. Yeah. Like, you got to, let's all be adults here. Like, you you know, do what you say you're going to do. Set a good foundation. Otherwise, yeah, that's. Yeah. But consolidating is a smart move because you could typically lower your interest rate. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, but again, you got to be able to make sure that you're sticking with the plan. Right. So, yeah, it's a lot. You have to st- stick with what works for you, but making sure you're making those payments and paying them off. And I just wish that people got that, like really got the this kind of um, education um, earlier in life. Yeah. Because yep. most people don't get this until they've already gotten into debt. And then they're like, oh, man, I wish I wouldn't have done this when I was 20. Mm-hmm. And um, um, I'm a big advocate of, you know, you got to teach your kids. I'm an advocate of having personal family finance in high school. I think mm-hmm. we should all teach that. Even things like, you know, do I need life insurance? How do I buy life insurance? You know, how do you buy car insurance? Yeah. Um, and that's what I like about kind of what you do, which is you go through – you know, those aspects that most financial planners would not. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really just, um, I think a lot of adults should, uh, take their own advice. I, I like to ask our clients, like, what would you tell your kids about how to do their money? And they typically know they're like, 
save first, mm-hmm. spend the rest, be be cautious with that, you know, or some of them will say give first, save then mm-hmm. the next, and then spend the rest. So, um, you know, a, but reinforcing that at a young age, I think a lot of people get into trouble before they kind of get that down. Right. Like the, like the client I was describing earlier, they, the way they explained it is they had uh, kind of gotten into the position they were in big time before they s- realized the consequences of what it was going to cause. And they just didn't have the education. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, the stuff that we we're talking about here goes so far beyond what you, with your average financial, when I, when I introduced you as a financial planner, right? what the average financial planner does. Um, so in your mind, kind of what sets, what are they going to see from most financial planners? You walk into ABC um, financial planning. Yeah. So uh, the traditional financial planner will have conversation around goals and want to understand your goals and understand where your finances are. Uh, and then they'll put together like reports for you based on that. Uh, where they, where we kind of deviate is, they're typically uh, having an end goal in mind. Like they have to get paid by positioning stuff, mm-hmm. like investments, selling or products. your product. Yeah. So, so the they're using the financial planning. The process of financial planning is actually a fantastic process, mm-hmm. but it's can be misused. It often is misused. So, the average uh, traditional model is they're using financial planning to to place the products because they have to to live to make a living. Yeah. And so the problem with that is like nobody gets paid to help people budget. <laughs> right. In financial planning. And so which is what they mostly your clients are going to need. Most everybody, I yeah. mean most well, even older people. We work with all the younger people and they pretty much everybody needs at least some level of that. And so uh, they're not compensated for that. And so they'll typically uh, use the financial planning process, which is a really powerful process and it helps People tend to trust you as a result of going through it, mm-hmm. and you get a lot of information, and that also instills trust. But then they use that whole process of saying, okay, well, let's recommend these investments here and this insurance here, and then you're on track. Right. But they, it's difficult for them in that traditional model to address the real underlying concerns. So what we do is different is we just – we really just – focus on the true issues at hand and it doesn't it we, we don't we don't sell any products so there's no uh you know underlying incentive that we have to work around yeah and um so you call yourself financial planner mm-hmm. and we i hear the term financial advisors and i hear other financial term what is the is there any kind of legal de- uh difference in some of these terms that you hear no and un- unfortunately our industry has very low uh professional standards like you can kind of pretty much call yourself anything yeah i mean there's a little bit of requirement but financial planner financial advisor financial representative they're all i mean it's hard to tell the difference yeah all of them yeah and um you know one thing that we've talked about before is you know a lot of people feel like or they think that their financial planner has an obligation to have their best interest out Right, right, right. Ahead of their best interest. Yep. Which is not, which what we call it, the legal term for that would be a fiduciary. Mm-hmm. Somebody who is bound legally 
to have their client's interest first. Right. And, um, and that is not the case. And so, you know, anybody listening to this, I want you to like really understand that, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of great financial advisors and planners that are not bound by fiduciary duty that still act in accordance to that. Yep. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they are. Mm-hmm. And and there's – so, yeah, there's fiduciaries that uh, do terrible work, but right. there's non-fiduciaries that do good work. Exactly. And so if you – but, I mean, if I'm a consumer, like – and uh, it's hard to tell the difference. So I would always encourage having a fiduciary because it's a higher standard and you're yeah. less likely to get uh, taken advantage of. But I think – the fiduciary thing is a big deal. And then also, like, how do you get paid? Like, what what's the incentive? Because incentives are more powerful, I think, even than the fiduciary thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I've you seen— You can back into an answer of, I had my client's best. Oh, interest. yeah. There's a lot of gray. So, um, I, you know, in my old career, I was paid to sell insurances and investments. And, um, you know, I there's many times where I'm sure I pushed the envelope without— it was subconscious just because that's how I had to get paid. And yeah. so um, to me, that's a way bigger uh, issue to be thinking about. So what's problematic there is like the average person we hear from on the front end is like they always have a problem that they need help with. So it's like I, I have I have student loans or I have I need to figure out what whether or not to buy or rent or I need to get my uh, finances organized or figure out where my money's going. Like none of those things – actually result in compensation and that so the typical financial services person is not positioned already from the get-go to help you with that Mm -hmm. that's the problem in the industry is they're not able to be compensated to help you with that problem well yeah you go through your training that you're going to go through you're going to get your series seven right or series whatever it is um is any of that based off of budgetary stuff it's all like regulations it's Series seven is basically just a license to sell. Yeah. It's literally, that's what it is. Yeah. A series seven is a license to sell investment vehicles and products. Right. So, uh, and that's probably, that's, you know, one of the more common things. Mm-hmm. I don't, we don't have series sevens cause we don't. Yeah. You don't sell any sell. products at all, right? Yeah. yeah. So that's, uh, not relevant for us, but, um, like the CFP is a good standard, uh, mm-hmm. baseline standard, because they have a little bit more comprehensiveness to it. CFP is Certified Financial, financial Planner. Yeah. So somebody that – but there's also plenty of CFPs that are, you know, not really doing mm-hmm. planning. Um, but the CFP standards, they're going to get more into debt and cash flow and yeah. uh, estate planning and just yeah. a little bit broad, more broad. So what are some red flags, somebody sitting down with their advisor or planner – that you would be like, uh, you know, maybe you need to ask them these questions or if they tell you this, you need to raise an eyebrow and really be, you know. Uh, uh, number one thing I would say is um, um, they have the – like a Swiss Army knife, mm-hmm. like the same – now this would be hard to, I guess, figure out unless you asked about it. But like they tend to recommend the same thing for everybody. Mm-hmm. Which is, I know from the industry, like, that's super common. Um, But that's a problem. Like, if they have, like, a boilerplate process and they tend to recommend the same thing for everybody and it tends to be insurance and investments, that's a a problem, um, I would say. Um, And 
the fiduciary thing is is a is a big deal, but um, you know, there's good people that are not fiduciaries, and like right. we were saying earlier, uh, when in doubt, I would always say go for someone that's a fiduciary. Right, of the two equals, mm, yeah. pick the fiduciary. Right? Yeah, um, I hate that it's that I have to say this one, but like dis, uh, disciplinary record. Oh yeah, like how would you find that? You can look it up on it's all called Broker Check. Uh, you can look it up online, Google broker check. But yeah. apparently, like twenty percent of advisors have disciplinary history. Yeah, <laughs> like I stole money from a client. Not wow. not like uh, I don't know. You know, not it's like not jaywalking. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not. Yeah. Like, it's like the client made a complaint. Like I was, um, you know, unethical and attempted to you know do something pretty pretty bad yeah uh there, there's a lot of that out, out there and um <clears throat> it's worth checking it's sad to say that you should check for that but uh that's definitely something to check so if you see your your guys on there you're like eh, yeah i'm Maybe gonna take need a pause. to probably not yeah what about um in recommend in the recommendations for um investment vehicles um, yeah, because I feel like complicated a lot of... is red flag mm-hmm. complications. So you want to be able to understand it. I mean, relatively understand. There's it. a lot of new vehicles out there that sound like really good. Yeah, too good to be true is always a red flag. Yeah, so a lot of these annuities yep. and guaranteed returns and downside protection. When the book is like 30 pages, uh huh, explaining it. I mean, that's a problem, right? Um. And then what what happens? I feel like, and I could be wrong, but there's a lot of hidden fees in those. Yeah, pretty much always. When it's free, that's another red flag. When the financial planning is free, mm-hmm. that's always a red flag because it's not free. I mean, right. they're earning a living. <laughs> yeah. So there, there's got to be some compensation. So you don't sell. Um, so into the investment stuff, you don't sell investment vehicles or products. Mm-hmm. So what do you recommend to your clients? Um, as far as a, um, a general idea, um, or philosophy on investing? Uh, I would say our philosophy is like a passive approach, which is essentially, so there's active and passive, Mm -hmm. uh, active is where you're, uh, like looking at the, all the different stocks and saying, okay, I'm going to pick the winners and buy them and then avoid the losers or sell them. So you're trying to pick and pick and choose the, yeah. the winners uh, and beat the market. And that's the goal with active is to beat the market. I think everybody thinks that they're smarter than the average person. Yeah, there's Especially all when kinds it comes of to the market science around research around the, the behavioral <laughs> flaws of of people. Yeah, and people just pick stocks based on what they saw on the news or like, oh, you know, these cannabis like a good one of the cannabis stocks. I mean, yeah. those went way up for however, and then they've just tanked. Yeah, that's um, yeah, that's the worst. Um, when an individual that really has no credentials whatsoever <laughs> right. is going in active and trying to pick the winners and losers, like I'm saying our approach. So our approach is passive. So yeah. passive means it's different. It's like, okay, we can't pick the winners and losers and we don't think anybody can actually, like mm-hmm. it's very difficult to find people that can pick the winners and losers. And if you can find them, they're too expensive. It kind of eats into it all. And so our approach is passive. So passive is just like, well, the market overall actually does pretty well. So Mm -hmm. let's just own the entire market. Right. Um, So S&P tracking. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. And so what's 
what's interesting is that that the I say that even when we're talking about like brilliant CFA credentialed mm-hmm. Wall Street twenty year veteran money manager active, I would not even bet on him. Mm-hmm. Much less like the dude in down the street that's picking stocks. Like he's got no chance against yeah that that guy. So because the market all ends up balancing it all out. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and um, like you said, the, a lot of times their higher returns are um, eaten up by the additional fees. Yeah, the people that are good charge a lot, and then that eats up their. Here's my favorite one. Um, hey, you should you should pick this fund because it's done well the last ten years. Right, it's beat the S and P the last ten years. Yeah, and right underneath of it, it says past performance is not a, a good indicator of future performance. <laughs> yeah. like to, but almost every financial advisor I have ever talked to will do that. Right, P- past performance. And then they then, well, talk, then they make you sign off saying that yeah. past performance is not. So talk about let's dig in a little bit to why that's the you know why is that dangerous using past performance? Yeah. Well, it's so my approach is is more passive long range. Yeah. So I would be more like past performance is the past it's right. already happened and there's all sorts of reasons why maybe this this portfolio as it's structured worked 10 yeah. years ago so but it doesn't work now because you know whatever or it could just been luck yeah and past performance at the end of the day i would say i don't have any idea so let's just not you know mm-hmm. pay too close attention to past performance and then you could argue it might even be a poor reflector of future performance because it's investments go up and down right yes. so that's basically saying in the past it's been up. So do you really want to buy something that's up it's really going to go baseline eventually. Maybe not. Maybe it's – so international is a good example. International investments. I don't – if you pay attention to like long periods of time, like 10 years ago maybe international was really hot. It was mm-hmm. popular and it had done really well for yeah. the prior 10 years. I mean it was it was killing it and a lot of people were putting their money into it. Now, fast forward, international has been lousy the past 10 to 15 years. Yeah. U.S. big stocks particularly have done right. really well. Blue so so yeah. what's happened is 10 years ago, the average person was looking at their past performance and putting their money in international mm-hmm. and taking it out of U.S. And then the so it's played out that that's actually done worse. Yeah. But, you know, the at the end of the day, it all balances out. So I would say you need to just own both of them, mm-hmm. keep it consistent, and not swap out based on past performance because past performance really at the end of the day is not a good indicator. The best indicator of future performance is actually like expenses. Yeah. If you're going to look at anything, look at – Which I think that, you know, the I think the industry has actually gotten better mm-hmm. at – uh, transparency and expenses yeah, they than it, when it was when I first started investing. Yeah, it was, it was like I would have to read the prospectus and yeah, like was, try to figure out how much a, a fund cost. And, and it, was, it was typically high. Yeah, because there's a reason they hide it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was bad when we started in the industry. Yeah, it's gotten a lot better. Yeah, and um, you know, I think I don't. Ha- I wish I had the stats, and maybe you know them, but um, adjusting for expenses, it's like cheapest fund wins. Almost all the time. I mean, they're starting out with an advantage, like they're already yeah. ahead of the game. Right. So it's typically go for the – It's you, you're not going to go wrong going for the lower cost typically. Yeah. Um, now, you have to be careful with that because, like, if you're picking the international index fund <laughs> mm-hmm. with all your money, 
and then you're swapping it to the U.S. index fund. Yeah. So a lot of people nowadays, the popular kind of active approach is to people are trading index funds mm-hmm. <laughs> like they're day trading index <laughs> funds <laughs> yeah which is crazy because you're overlapping a lot you're doing yeah it's and it's like mixing the two strategies together yeah um it doesn't work yeah well and i think what i see a lot um is people trying to market time yeah, yeah. and what we mean by that is okay so the u.s has been and i want to get your take on this this is where we talk politics no, we can't. We can't if you want. <laughs> nah. Yeah, let's let's talk about the Trump impeachment. No. <laughs> um, so yeah, so the U.S. has been in this great expansion for a long time. The market's at all time highs, continues to hit highs, highs, highs. Um, and you know, you know, it's going to go through a business cycle. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I see a lot of people say, okay, well, you know, we're due for a recession or we're due for this, so I'm going to pull my money out of the market and try to market time. What are your thoughts on that? It's so easy to say that, Mm -hmm. but if you look at the, I've just had the privilege of seeing so many people say that exact same thing over the years. Yeah. It's like. Well, people were saying that five years ago. Oh yeah. And if you would have done that five years ago, how, look at how much growth you would have missed out on. Tons. You know, um, I have hundreds, thousands of examples of where people, cause they, they're like, oh, you're in money. I'm thinking about selling all my investments at like a party or something. And I'm like, Oh, another one of these. (laughs) Uh, And I'm like, I just nod my head. I'm like, yeah, 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 that makes sense. Yeah. You, you're, you're probably right. China's, you know, cause I don't want to, yeah, I'm trying to end the conversation. I don't particularly like talking about it at a party. (laughs) Right. um, We hear that a lot. And so they're typically saying, I want to get out or I want to do get in their timing, market timing. Mm -hmm. And it's typically for irrational reasons. And, and if I think about the past of all those, you know, thousand people that have said they're doing it, mm-hmm. probably like one out of a thousand actually hit it. Yeah. But then when they do hit it, say they're getting out of the market. They don't get back in. Then they don't know when to get back in. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, if you're, you know, one out of a hundred that, that times it right, then the, the, then you got to do it again and be the one out of a hundred that gets back in at the right time. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, a. so I would say, well, before you do that, like, why don't you take a look at like, Let's say you did have the timing perfect. Let's say you knew it was about to be the Great Depression all over again. So let's look at the Great Depression right before it happened and and look at how that had played out even if you stayed in versus got out. Mm-hmm. And and it, at the end of the day, when you normally look at – when if you look at those actual numbers, it's not that bad. Like it's right. just bad and then good. Yeah. It, it, it goes right back to, to – Well, I know like 2008, I guess it was, the yeah. big recession. I mean my – portfolio was down like 50%. Right. And then it went back up more, well, more than 50%. Quickly. Yeah. And, um, but there's so many people who are like, oh crap, my, my portfolio is down 50%. I better sell and get out of the market before it gets worse. And I'm like, no, oh my God, no, it's the... <laughs> please don't do that. Do not do that. Yeah. Yeah. That happened. So I'm kind of curious to see when the market gets real crazy again, that's when people get a little irrational. Like right now, people are, rel- I would not say people are rational, but relatively rationally behaving yeah. uh, people. But like in 2008, when I was in the same industry, everybody was crazy. Like people were just acting yeah, wild and doing it, insane stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, um, yeah, I think that that's the, the approach that people need to understand. And then, you know, 
really key in on compounding mm-hmm. um, growth. Eighth one of the world. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, so if you started at 16 and put in, I think it was like $2,000 at 16, $2,000 at 17, and $2,000 at 18 in, a, in an IRA, put in S&P tracking. Mm-hmm. Um, that $6,000 is like $650,000. Yeah, the numbers are always stupid. It's they're, crazy. They're big. Um, <laughs> yep. And like you can't out earn by p- picking better vehicles or whatever compounding interest or compounding growth. Mm-hmm. And, Long uh, run. So I, I always say, you know, that's what I think when I go going back to the financial education, like the sooner you can start, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Our, our clients that do the best are educated, actually. Like a lot of people are like, yeah, your clients hire you because they're, they need somebody that's educated and they're not educated because they're not educated. Right. But th- it's actually the reverse. Like the people that we work the best with are the ones that know kind of all we could have this kind of conversation with them yeah because uh, they know the, the the basics and everybody needs to know the basics nobody cares about your money more than you do that, mm-hmm. that kind of thing is totally true and so you need to uh have those foundational you don't need to go reading investment books like i would on vacation for fun but like <laughs> you know understanding the basics is is key yeah uh, for everybody i think yeah um i'd say most people's main savings is in their retirement, right? Yeah, that's typical. And most of those are employer-sponsored retirement plans. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I just did my employee benefits stuff. and Open uh, enrollment. Open enrollment. Yeah, I always go back and look. Um, do, how, how do you help your clients do navigating an employee-sponsored retirement plan? Yeah, the that process is a little different because they're limited. Like they mm-hmm. have – you know, 15 choices or whatever. So if you're lucky, uh, we'll every once in a while, we'll come across somebody that just has a really bad retirement plan. Mm -hmm. So we'll on the extreme example, I'll reach out to the CFO of the company or something and be like, your retirement plan's terrible. (laughs) I mean, for real, because they don't usually know. Yeah. And hopefully they'll change well, it because it's their retirement plan too. Yeah, <laughs> and they're the fiduciary a yeah. lot of times. Like they're the the the, the, the main executives in the company are typically on the hook for a yeah. crappy retirement plan. So um, if it's really bad, we'll say you know you need to we need to try to fix the plan. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, and I guess first step would be making sure you're at least contributing your max. Yeah, the contributions so are right, all that. Right, um, you know, getting the match is important. Like, always get the match, even if it was a terrible retirement plan. You want to get the max match. match That's right. just like free money. Um, and ideally, you put in as much as you can possibly put in. Yeah, I mean, it's a good. Don't let anybody tell you like, like a financial advisor is your classic or classically. That's the problem with our industries. They'll a lot of people will be like, you need to buy this whole life insurance first after you match out your retirement plan and then do it before you put any more in your retirement plan. Cause it's like the Swiss army knife of everything. Mm-hmm. That's like terrible advice. Yeah. So let's, so for your 401k, there's a maximum you can put in uh-huh. by law. We, we talked about the match. So your employer will match you. Let's say whatever that might be. Yeah. 4%, 6%. Um, you're saying make sure you put the match in at least to, to max out the to match. max out yeah, the yeah. max, and then um, 
And then you need to put in the maximum by law, tax law, that you can put into a retirement plan, whether that be your employee retirement plan yeah. or an outside IRA. Ideally, you put in as much as you can. Yeah, which is like the max is like, what, fourteen five or something like that? So the max for the 401k is ni- next year it'll be nineteen five. Nineteen five, yeah. For the employee part. Um, now, if you're self-employed, you can put in like 56 or whatever, 56.5, I guess, next year. But um, you can put a lot more in if you're self-employed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it it's good to put in as much as you typically can put in. But And then um, and then, how do you feel about – so then there's a lot of talk about Roth versus traditional 401k. Mm-hmm. Um, and for people listening that maybe don't know the difference, maybe real quick – what the difference is there basically it's like tax me now or tax me later Mm -hmm. so traditional 401k this is a misconception people think traditional 401k is pre-tax now right and it is but it's really tax deferred and you got to pay the tax eventually so it's not like a lot of cpas will say this they're like do your pre-tax 401k because that's money in your pocket well it's not actually money in your pocket it's just you're waiting on the bill. Yeah. The bill comes later. When you take it out. Yeah. So it's not, that makes it hard for people to compare because they're like the pre-tax one saves me, you know, 30% of my taxes. So that's Mm -hmm. a home run. But uh, it's really more of tax me now or tax me later. So when Roth really kind of hit the scene, people were all about it um, because you're like, okay, well, my money's going to grow and I'm going to be paying taxes on the growth, Right. Yeah. Well, the Roth is so the Roth is tax me now, now and, and I don't pay taxes. When no I take tax it out. later. So, but you know what I think people fail to understand is sometimes you look at we're in kind of the lowest tax rate mm-hmm. ever in history right now. <laughs> pretty close. If it's not, it's pretty close. Um, and most of your people are in uh, their highest earning time. Yeah. So you're in the highest bracket. Um. Now, so you're gonna have a lower tax bracket then. So you've got two kind of moving points. You got right. you don't know where the tax rate's gonna be then uh, when you retire or when you pull it out, and you don't know what your income level is gonna be. But it's probably gonna be lower. So you're probably gonna be in a lower tax bracket. So it gets complicated. And I hear both people both yeah arguments. Where, where do you fall on that? What well, it's it's it. I'll stay away from the middle because the middle's complicated, and I can put it. I can make an argument for either one. Yeah. Uh, so the extremes are a little easier. So. For instance, like I'm thinking about myself, like let's say when I was just starting out of school, um, like my first year, I worked only half the year. So I'm, you know, maybe $20,000 income or something, the half year, first half year of work. So a $20,000 income for a single person is really like 0% tax. Yeah. And so in that setup, it's a home run to do a Roth IRA mm-hmm. all day long when your in- income is really low. Right. It's it's typically a home run if you're going to eventually have higher income. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the flip side, like if you're the apex of your career and you're just killing it and the tax environment's really high, like three years ago, it was quite a bit higher than it is now. So three years ago, you're making – you're in the top tax bracket. You, you can't get taxed anymore in the top tax bracket. Mm-hmm. In that case, it's like pre-tax all day long. So – I mean, those are the extremes, but most people are somewhere in the middle. So, yeah. um, case by case basis. Yeah, yeah, 
There's some loopholes and different things too. To keep. Like in Kentucky, for instance, you can, um, there, there's some, there's a little bit of a kind of loophole to get around, uh, state income tax and stuff like that. But there's, so there's, and there's exceptions for mm-hmm. your situation. But. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, the, limiting your tax liabilities, a huge thing for, I'm sure a lot of your clients, yep. it's a big thing for me. Um, me too. <laughs> not, I mean, especially if you're a W2 employee, which I know a lot of your clients are, you know, there's, you're, you know, you're, you're not expensing a lot of stuff. Yeah. There's like, only so much. There's almost so much you can do. And, um, you know, that's why I think a lot of people pull that whole life out. Yeah. It's Swiss um, army knife. So we'll explain why that sounds sexy or why people push that for your high income earners, you know, what they do to try to help get like the whole, the whole life sell. Yeah. I used to sell it, so I know this. Really well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's, a, I mean, it's essentially like, okay, you, you know, you've maxed out everything. That's yeah. You hit your nineteen five. Yeah, and you've done. You you're already maxing out all your tax shelters. Mm-hmm. Well, like the whole life vehicle yeah. is an additional tax shelter that allows you to sock away money that's you essentially tax free if you if you do it right. Yeah. Um, so it's another tax free bucket. You can start funding and and you also get the life insurance kind of that comes with it for free. Yeah. It's not free. You get feed on it, right? <laughs> it's free or feed, feed free, one of the <laughs> both. Yeah. Um, so it, you know, it comes with life insurance for free. Uh, and if you get disabled, it pays for itself and, yeah. and it, it can, you know, it takes out the trash for you and, <laughs> right. you know. So your general rule of thumb is, is to not go for that. Yeah. I mean, but 99% now there, of people. But there's other tax, um, well, I don't know what the word would be, shelter, not shelter, but a way to kind of get around that. So, the, the, like, what do you, how do you feel about contributing HSA? I feel like a lot of people um, don't do that. They probably should. Yeah, HSA is the best, I would say, the best tax shelter that exists right now. As a backup for once you've gotten your retirement in. Well, I would say the HSA is even better than 401k. Really? Not the match. Like, you want to get free yeah. money on the match. But the HSA, so if I was to prioritize you know, the different tax shelters, I would say, do your match on your 401k first, always. Second priority would be HSA. If really? You, if you can do it. Yeah. And why is that? So 401k, traditional 401k is, you know, tax me now, tax me later. We were talking about that. So mm-hmm. um, if you're doing the tax me now, like Roth, you pay tax on it now, and then it's tax-free in the at the end. Versus if you do the traditional, it's 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 no tax now, but you pay tax on the back end. So either way, you're paying tax. Yeah. But now or later. So with the HSA, it's no tax. Yeah. Like no tax going in, no tax growth, no tax coming out. Now the catch is you have to use it for healthcare. So you can. A lot of people think of an HSA as like I'm going to use it to spend on my healthcare now. Right. But you don't have to. You can let it grow. So. You can put it in tax free, no tax now, and you don't have to use it. In fact, we advocate people don't, don't use, use it. it. Yeah. So you, you tax, no tax now, let it grow, no tax then, and then when you take it out for healthcare, no tax on the back end too. So it's essentially like a bucket you can create that's they call it triple tax free. So yeah, and these are expenses that you're going to have in retirement, you're and you're going to have a lot of um, expenses, a lot of healthcare yeah. expenses. Um, and the skeptic is like, well, what if I don't? And I'm like, well, if you don't, then it actually functions just like a 401k as a backup. 
Yeah. Like after 65, you can you use can it exactly it like a 401k. Now you pay tax on it then, but that's what you do with the 401k too. Yeah. So ideally use it, use it for healthcare when you're old, but right. the HSA is- Can you a, use that for insurance premiums? Yeah. I mean, it de- depends, but yeah. So it, the HSA is like a home run. Yeah. Um, yeah. And is it, I, you know, you got to invest it like you, the default is normally cash. Yes. For an HSA, so you have to take go another step to go invest it. Yeah, I don't think people understand that that HSA like is such a great savings vehicle. Yeah. It's a health savings account. It doesn't mean that you know. Even when I went through my benefits, it's like how much it's trying to tell me help me pick how much yeah. um, to put in my HSA. It's like, well, how much expenses do you think you're going right, to have? Right, it's the wrong. That's not the way you think about. It. It's like yeah. how much can I? Are you wanting to save? Yeah, that you can put away. We're we're starting to have clients with like fifty hundred thousand in their HSAs. Yeah, you know, like and invested in growing and yeah, it's, it's yeah. And I, and you you talk a lot about um, simplifying and you know this is when it starts to get kind of complicated, right? Because you've got okay, well I've got my I'm doing my match and my retirement, and then I'm doing HSA, mm-hmm. and then I'm doing maybe something else. Um, you know, college. I mean, we didn't get into college planning. Yeah, we, we could do a whole podcast. It's hard to to make it simple in the environment yeah. we live in, especially if you. Which is why they probably need somebody like yourself. Right? Yeah, I mean, I'm my I advocate simplicity, like as simple as possible, without like losing efficiency. Yeah. So having seven checking accounts, like what kind? You don't really gain much efficiency there, right? But having like an HSA and a five twenty nine for college. That's like huge tax efficiency. Yeah. So there's a line. I mean, you. I'm not to the extreme where I'm just like have one account mm-hmm. for everything. Yeah. How do you help your um, clients figure out what percentage of their savings go in what bucket? Like so retirement versus college. College versus, versus um, I need to buy a car in three years. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, emergency expenses. So that that goes back to like the goals and values conversation. So we try part of what we start with is mapping out like the future and what's coming. And so, you know, car, maybe one year, two years from now, college, this time frame. College is going to be free though, right? After this. Oh next yeah. <laughs> is that a prom campaign promise or something? Yeah, I think it's a lot of them going yeah. that out there. No college. Who knows what education will be, but yeah, maybe that's Should probably one. still plan for it though. And maybe the uh, retirement is another one, and vac- you know, maybe it's a vacation home, some or maybe some big vacation when they're older. Um, so you you, and then you prioritize each of them, and and then you just start. It's as simple as just saving for each of those, and right, just and make then, sure you have enough in there to hit your goals at the certain times. Yep, and it's not as it's you know maybe you just have retirement. That's it, and that's right. pretty simple. Um, but a lot of people have other ones. Right. Yeah. It's hard. I mean, it's hard to save enough when you really start looking at like, you know, here's the expenses I'm going to have. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, people have already committed to all these obligations. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. Yeah. It's funny. I, I used to do a lot of like speaking with um, like medical students and, and students and stuff like that. And one of the common questions we get is like, where should I save in retirement or education or pay off my loans first? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Wait a minute. Like, first thing is you got to make, sh- you got to figure out, should I, am I saving enough no, first? Because yeah. what a lot of people do is they're so worried about that question. And then before they don't ever decide. And by the time they do, they've actually increased their lifestyle to, to where they have no extra. Mm-hmm. 
a lot of people just let that student loan, it's just they forget about it. Just so I'll just let that hang out there for years. I mean. Yeah, student loans are a big problem. And it used to be that they were tax deductible. I guess they still are tax deductible. Mm, yeah. But with the tax changes, and I will just say this little disclaimer, neither Daniel nor I are. <laughs> Nothing C- is advice. <laughs> CPAs, we're not tax advice advisors here. But, um, you know, with the t- changes to the tax code, that um, interest deductions not as you know, most people are taking that standard deduction. Yeah. So um, hopefully, you know, that will encourage people to pay those down. But yeah, student loans are a mess. I've. That's one of the things I've seen with you, you know, helping your clients even decide whether or not to take that job that, you know, with the medical field, especially a lot of people are like, hey, you know, you do this and your loans are, will forget, or are forgiven or will pay your loans off. Yeah. And um, I know you and I were talking that a lot of times they're better off taking that higher paying job. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not always, it's, it's tip that gets a little complicated, but, um, I think I wish I worked with people earlier. Mm-hmm. Like I, I would love to be able to talk to people before they take out the loans. And so now what I've learned on, cause I work with them on the back end after they've already taken, taken them out. So like the, um, on the back end, they typically what I find is they've they've taken out like the max debt that they could take out. Yeah, and maybe they know maybe they have some forgiveness program, or maybe they're going to get a job that's going to pay for it, or whatever. But they got the, their reasons. But it's just very non salient. It's they don't feel it when they take out loans. So that a lot of people have taken out the max, and they're just going to figure it out later. But I mean, I wish I could. And then, and the the people at the universities, it's like kind of just giving out like candy. I mean, they they they're yeah. very easy to get get loans. And so well, on the, the front end, I'd be like, listen, do you understand what you're committing to? Yeah, taking out this loan, like this is nuts. Mm-hmm. How much you're taking out? And I've seen people in my line of business where they have really high interest rates on those student loans, and I'm mm-hmm. like, hey, you know, you could probably get a lower rate on those. Yeah, but they've already set their lifestyle up to use an income-based repayment. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah. you ha- they have to be in these certain type of loans in order to be able to, to make that income-based repayment work. They can't consolidate to a lower yeah, rate. Yeah, that's, that's a problem too. So. Um, it's been, I've talked to many a person that's like, I, like in medical school, they went on big trips once a year with their loan money. Yeah. Like they would go overseas. Right. With their loan money. And like, that's probably not a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But again, you know, I mean, look, it's their goals, right? If that's, you got to decide what your goals are, but they need to really understand what that's going to do to them. Well, that's the dangerous part is they don't understand. It's hard to understand the ramifications. Like what's it going to feel like 10 years from now when you're still paying it? And yeah. And that's hard to understand. Yeah. Um, I want to real quick talk on college. I've got a 16 year old right now and we're kind of looking at it. And I know one thing that you've advocated um, is working with a college planner. Yeah, yeah. Um, Have you had experience doing that? We did not do it. But now I'm like applying for scholarships. I'm out there like I'm doing all this work Yeah. versus like, the fee I would have paid a college planner. I'm like, why didn't I do this? Yeah. And um, I mean, if your kid wants to look at multiple schools and like sometimes I think it's simple mm-hmm. for certain situations, but I'll, 
like say you're just going to go to UK and and, and do but know, even one thing. so there are the, a lot of the scholarships, scholarships. and the, the things that are complicated but, knowing how to navigate like we're mm-hmm. she's she's um trying to get governor scholar program and I was talking with Jennifer um the other day and I was like do you realize if she got she she gets a 31 on her ACT if she gets governor scholar that's like eighty thousand dollars yeah it's, it's a home full run. tuition governor scholar is huge yeah. in Kentucky full tuition to any state school. Um, I encourage anybody that's not applying this year, don't apply this year because my daughter's trying to apply. Yeah. <laughs> the next year you got to apply. No, but it's a great program. But navigating that process has taken us forever. And luckily we knew enough to keep track of her hours and all that stuff beforehand. But it's just, it's almost a full-time job keeping track of her volunteer and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're ambitious and going for, you know, certain types of programs or schools or whatever, it's, that's where, you know, college planners yeah. are helpful and as they're kind of specialized in. They've been in the news a little, <laughs> a little bit. Um, have you seen, you've seen them, um, obviously the, uh, Felicity Huffman or whoever the, the people who. No, fill the, me in. You haven't seen this? Dude, I don't pay attention to the news. Oh, well, there was a whole bribery deal. With some college oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're Okay, about. yeah, yeah. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about somebody who. Um, we'll sit down with your, um, student and with yourself and again, try to get your goals, but also just uncovering, um, potential, um, scholarships. And I know a friend of mine that worked with a college planner, um, their son wanted to do a certain program that was not available at UK mm-hmm. and they found a school that he liked that had like reciprocity with Kentucky and they so were they able got to get in-state tuition, in-state tuition. Yeah. and that paid for it. No question. No question that paid mm-hmm. for. What's the running uh, fee for something like that? College planner? Yeah. Uh, I think it's like maybe four to three to six thousand or something. Yeah. Uh, but it's probably way bigger range than that. Yeah, yeah. Because they have a. It's just a wide range of services. Yeah. Um. So, and then the other thing I want to talk about real quick. Um. I know we gotta wrap this wrap this up, but um, your college uh, planning, uh, saving vehicles, your five twenty nine. Yeah. I know. When I my daughter was born, Coverdale ESA was like the thing to be in, right? And now it's the five twenty nine, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. How do you kind of advise your clients on planning for college? Yeah, so the five twenty nine is the. I mean, if you're going to save for college or you want to have resources available for college, the five twenty nine is no question the best vehicle. Uh, especially now with the new tax law, it can be used for for any education, like before college, even like private school. It can be used for private school beforehand. Um, so yeah, definitely 529. Now the question is, there's a million different ways to get a 529 and, and mm-hmm. then different states. They have it like state by state. So yeah. you, it doesn't, if you get it in Kentucky, 529, for instance, it doesn't mean you have to go to school in Kentucky. That's a right. big misconception. But when they first rolled out, that was kind of, you didn't have to, but that was, it was kind of tied to in-state tuition, right? Yeah. So nowadays though, you can get any 529 in any state and it doesn't tie to where you, what school you go to. Now, some states have state tax benefits for using their 529. Um, like, for instance, Indiana has the best 529 tax benefit of any state. Hmm. Kentucky has none. <laughs> so there's two extremes. But um, yeah. So if you're in Indiana, you all would always want to use the Indiana plan. The other thing is, too, I would advise, like, never use the advisor plan. Always use the non-advisor plan because mm-hmm. typically the advisor plans – are the same thing except for they have Feasible. commissions wrapped into it. Yeah. So like you can just get the 
or get your advisor to tell you which plan to get through the non-advisor plan. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then it's a, it's, it's so for instance, where would you go for something like that? For 529 yeah. stuff. I mean, you should have a good advisor that can help you Just figure help it you out. Do it. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't steer you towards the advisor plans, which, mm-hmm. um, but you could go, like, I think the website is saving for college. Maybe. Yeah. There's an right. excellent 529 resource online where it basically gives you all kinds of information about all the 529s out there. Mm-hmm. Um, like, but there's a, definitely a lot of states that are good. Like we use Utah a lot of times. Utah is a great 529. Yeah. Low cost. Well, great. Well, um, I really enjoyed sitting down with yeah. you. Um, I mean, I could go on forever and, and we could get as much in the weeds as you want. Well, we don't want to do that. But, yeah. Days. I mean, I feel like, um, you know, we're over now here. So I want to go ahead and wrap up, but, um, tell the people where they can find you. So you can find me, my website is Ren Financial, W-R-E-N-N-E, financial.com. Um, that's probably the best place place to find me at. All right. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Um, if you need anybody, uh, financial planning, Daniel's, Daniel's the man, guru on this. And I uh, really enjoyed sitting down with you. So yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Tyler Gossett Podcast. If you liked it, do me a favor and subscribe and drop me a review. You can also hit me up at tylergossettpodcast at gmail.com.